we've been going through the the life of David. And David is one of the, the most uh, long and very exciting and and full of wisdom dramas that is accounted for in the Bible. And we could glean so much from David's life, from his successes, from his, his trials, from his errors, and from his disappointments. Which is why I, I thought of titling today's study, The Trials of Disappointment. See, David in his life was just this shepherd boy who was visited by the prophet Samuel. And Samuel had anointed David. And Samuel had told David that his anointing was so that he could become the king, the king of Israel. And he was going to lead the entire nation, just this little shepherd boy. And so I'm sure in, in David's mind, the, the tasks seemed to be exciting and daunting and maybe even a little bit scary. But David, being a man after God's own, own heart, he knew that God can get him there. He saw how God had provided for him when he would battle against the lion as it came to attack his sheep. When a bear came, God gave him victory over the bear. And God gave him victory over fighting Goliath. And so David now, given this promise of entering into kingship from the Lord, maybe perhaps he saw the door opening as he just defeated Goliath, the giant. And King Saul had elevated David. And maybe in David's mind and heart, this was lining up perfectly for him now to step, step in to the throne. But as we follow David's story, he was met with a great disappointment in that as he's near the king, King Saul, King Saul becomes jealous of David and desires then to kill David, casting his spear as David's playing, worshiping. And David had to flee. And then Saul, King Saul, began to pursue after him. And I can't imagine the disappointment that David was feeling right now. He's thinking, I'm supposed to be king, and yet here I am running out of the town, running out of my, my hometown and running for fear of my life. Perhaps we uh, at times have been given a, a promise of the Lord or just really thought that God was leading us in a, in a certain area. And then when things don't go our way, we begin to, to question the faithfulness of God. We begin to doubt that God is in control and that he's sovereign over everything. Tonight, we're gonna find out a little bit of how David felt during the season of his life and what he did during it. So again, with 1 Samuel chapter 20, we're going to begin with verse 1. Remember, David is, is fleeing from, from King Saul. It said, Then David fled from Naoth in Ramah and went and said to Jonathan, What have I done? What is my iniquity? And what is my sin before your father, that he seeks my life? So Jonathan said to him, By no means, you shall not die. Indeed, my father will do nothing, either great or small, without me first telling me. And why should my father hide this thing from me? It is not so. David was innocent towards Saul, and he honored his king. You see, he went to Jonathan, who was King Saul's son. Now, Jonathan and David had this deep, deep brotherhood and friendship where they made covenants with each other, oaths to honor each other. 
and he goes to Jonathan and, and asks Jonathan, what is what have I done ill? What did I do with ill intent towards your father? What have I done even just maybe by mistake? What is my fault? Why does your dad want to kill me? And Jonathan would tell him, look, no, that's, that's not what my father's doing. If my father wanted to kill you, I would know. But Jonathan is wrong because King Saul did want to kill David. It brings to light that Jonathan did not know his father as well as he thought. In verse 3, Then David took an oath again and said, Your father certainly knows that I have found favor in your eyes. And he has said, Do not let Jonathan know this, lest he be grieved. But truly, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, there is but a step between me and death. See, David shows his discernment in this situation. He's very wise. He knows that Saul is after his life. David's wisdom, he goes on to write all the Psalms. It's a gift of the Holy Spirit. It's one that we can grow in. Is knowing what to do with the knowledge that God gives us. And how to properly apply that. As a gift from the Holy Spirit, sometimes perhaps you'll be in some sort of gathering with people. Uh, right, right now, obviously, we're, we're, we're spread apart, but even amongst your family. And God will have somebody express a situation where they are unsure of, of what to do with information that they've been given. And God will use the Holy Spirit in another person's life to answer that person's question with the knowledge that they're received. And it's actually a gift of the Holy Spirit where there is a spiritual power behind that wisdom. And that's something that believers have. This is what David had. So Jonathan said to David, Whatever you yourself desire, I will do it for you. And David said to Jonathan, Indeed, tomorrow is the new moon, and I should not fail to sit with the king to eat. But let me go that I may hide in the field until the third day at evening. If your father misses me at all, then say, David earnestly asked permission of me that he might run over to Bethlehem, his city. For there is a yearly sacrifice for there for all the family. If he says thus, it is well, your servant will be safe. But if he is very angry, be sure that evil is determined by him. You see, in verse 4, we saw Jonathan's loyalty to David. He said, look, despite what I think of what my father is doing, I'm going to listen to you, David. Because David, I don't think my father wants to kill me. But if that's what you think, David, then what do you want to do? And David, he's a man here, begins this plan, a way to test King Saul to see if he truly does desire to kill him in order to show Jonathan. See, David was a man who thought critically. You know, it's discernment, another gift of the Holy Spirit. To understand spiritually the intents of the heart. And that's something that as leaders and as Christian leaders that we need to have. We are to ask God to give us discernment in situations. Because sometimes even Christians can lead us astray by giving us Advice that's not in line with what the Lord wants. So we need to have discernment on when it's God speaking, on when it's the world or our flesh, ourselves, and when it's the Holy Spirit. In verse 8, Therefore, 
you shall do, deal kindly with your servant. For you have brought your servant into a covenant of the Lord with you. Nevertheless, if there is iniquity in me, kill me yourself. For why should you bring me to your father? But Jonathan said, far be it from you. For I knew certainly that evil was determined by my father to come upon you. If I knew, then would I not tell you? David, he's saying right here, if I've done evil, if I deserve to die, then just kill me yourself, Jonathan. And Jonathan's saying, no, that's, that's not what I'm thinking. And I don't think that Saul means to kill you, David. In verse 10, then David said to Jonathan, who will tell me, or what if your father answers you roughly? And Jonathan said to David, come, let us go out into the field so both of them went out into the field. Then Jonathan said to David, The Lord God of Israel is witness. When I have sounded out my father sometime tomorrow or the third day, indeed there is good toward David. And I do not send to you and tell you, may the Lord do so and much more to Jonathan. So these men, they have this pact with one another and they're even bringing God as witness, they're saying. Jonathan is basically swearing on the Lord. The Bible teaches us, let your yes be yes and your no be no. But Jonathan had this deep heart of he wanted to let David know that his promise was going to be true. And in verse 13, Jonathan basically is cursing himself if he, if he does not keep his oath. Again, in verse 13, at the end of verse 13, it says, May the Lord do so, and much more to Jonathan. But if it pleases my father to do you evil, then I will report it to you and send you away, that you may go in safety. And the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. And you shall not only show me the kindness of the Lord while I still live, that I may not die. But you shall not cut off your kindness from my house forever. No, not when the Lord has cut off every one of his enemies of David from the face of the earth. See, Jonathan recognized that God had anointed David. And he wouldn't dare go against that anointing. He recognized that God was with David. And that's a common theme that we see here. That God is with David. Jonathan realizing that God was going to put David as king. He asked David to show kindness to him and his children forever. This is an important part where he's asking David. He says, look, please, let's make this pact that of my household, you will be kind to them and you will show them kindness forever because he realizes that David is going to get the throne. Later on in the life of David, one of Saul's descendants, Mephibosheth, would come into a, a point in his life where it was possible that King David should kill him. There was a rumor going on but because of the pact that Jonathan and David make here, David keeps that oath and he spares Mephibosheth. And we'll, we'll, we'll catch that drama a little later on in 2 Samuel. In verse 16, so Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David saying, let the Lord require it at the hand of David's enemies. So basically saying, look, may the Lord vanquish all of David's enemies. And in verse 17, now Jonathan again caused David to vow because he loved him, for he loved him as he loved his own soul. Then Jonathan said to David, tomorrow is the new moon and you will be missed because your seat will be empty. And when you have stayed three days, go down quickly and come to the place where you hid on the day of the deed and remain by the stone Ezel. 
Then I will shoot three arrows to the side as though I shoot at a target. And there I will send a lad saying, go find the arrows. If I expressly say to the lad, look, the arrows are on the side of you, get them and come. Then as the Lord lives, there is safety for you and no harm. But if I say thus to the young man, look, the arrows are beyond you, go your way for the Lord has sent you away. And as for the matter, which you and I have spoken of. Indeed, the Lord be between you and me forever. So David and Jonathan, they devised this plan. They devised the plan where he's saying, look, if, if there's evil that's gonna happen to you, David, then I'll go out to the field and you'll see me, you'll be hidden. I'm gonna shoot these arrows and I'll send a lad to go get the arrows. And if I tell the lad that the arrows are beyond you, David, it means that my father wants to kill you. So this was the plan they said. In verse 23, again, we'll say, and as for the matter which you and I have spoken, indeed the Lord be between you and me forever. So notice, always putting God in the center of that, that oath, that relationship, that brotherhood that they had. In verse 24, then David hid in the field, and when the new moon had come, the king sat down to eat the feast. Now the king sat on his seat, as at other times, on a seat by the wall, and Jonathan arose, and Abner sat by Saul's side. But David's place was empty. Nevertheless, Saul did not say anything that day, for he thought something has happened to him. He's unclean. Surely he's unclean. In verse 25, you do have a character named Abner who will appear later on in the drama of David. But notice that Saul here, he notices that King David, or David at this time, not king yet, but he notices that David's not there at the feast where Saul was expecting him to be. And his thought on the second day when he's not there is that David was probably not there because he was an unclean man. Now, that word for unclean, there are some very gross meanings behind that phrase, unclean. And a number of things could have made an Israelite ceremonially unclean so that they would not be able to partake in this holiday meal. These uh, various uncleanlinesses include from serious skin diseases, contact with a human corpse or animal carcasses, childbirth, menstruation, and even seminal emission, and in general contact with an unclean thing or person would make that person unclean. So this is the way that Saul viewed David, is that David was just a man who was probably dirty and didn't take time or care for the festival that they were going to be celebrating but he just stayed away. You see, Saul's view of, of David was pessimistic and one rooted in jealousy and hatred. And oftentimes, we can think the worst about people that we're jealous of. We could think always negative about people who we just seemingly don't like without knowing the full truth. You see, we need to be able to look at things through the eyes of the eternal perspective of the way God sees them. And that's something that we could pray for in our life. To give us a heart who loves even our enemies. And that's not an easy thing to do. In verse 27, and it happened the next day, the second day of the month, that David's place was empty. And Saul said to Jonathan, his son, why has the son of Jesse not come to eat either yesterday or today? So Jonathan answered Saul, David earnestly asked permission of me to go to Bethlehem. And he said, please let me go for our family has a sacrifice in, a, in the city. 
and my brother has commanded me to be there. And now if I have found favor in your eyes, please let me get away and see my brothers. Therefore, he has not come to the king's table. Then Saul's anger was aroused against Jonathan. And he said to him, you son of a perverse, rebellious woman, do I not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness? So, wow, they, Jonathan there, he, he sets up the test. David's not there, and Saul asks his son, hey, where's David? And, and Jonathan explains how he wanted to be with his family, for they had called for him to celebrate with them. And Saul has this outburst of anger where he basically calls his own son and wife a rebellious, perverse woman that was someone who is uh, living licentiously. And he says this in extreme anger. Saul was easily intoxicated with rage. You see, even Christians... Even leaders, sometimes we struggle with this sin, the sin of rage, of, of anger. The Bible talks about anger a lot, actually. I wrote down some verses to remind us of how to deal with anger. You don't need to turn to these verses, but I would encourage you to write these verses down. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26. It says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Again, that's Ephesians 4, 26. In Ephesians 4, again, verses 31 and 32, it says, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. That's Ephesians 4, 31 and 32. And in James chapter 1, verses 19 and 20, it says, So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. That's James 1, 19 and 20. And lastly, Proverbs 29, verse 11. A fool vents all his feelings, but a wise man holds them back. Proverbs 29, 11. Some of those verses are, are my favorite. I love the idea of a fool venting his feelings, but a wise man holding him back. And that could go across not only anger, but so many different uh, feelings that it's wise sometimes to hold them in. And the, when it talked about in James about being slow to wrath, quick to hear, that's so opposite of how we are sometimes. We usually want to speak first and listen later. But James wisely tells us to be, listen quickly. Speak slowly. And the reminder in Ephesians 4.26 to be angry and do not sin lets us know that there is a time of righteous anger. But the key is not to let that anger turn into sin. Be angry and do not sin. And not to let the sun go down on your wrath. If you're having a disagreement with someone, don't go to sleep with that anger and that bitterness held in you. Let God deal with it. Let God deal with you. And sometimes if the other person's not allowing God to, to take it over, then you need to be the one to let it die within you, that anger, that bitterness. Continuing in 1 Samuel with verse 31 of chapter 20. Verse 31 says this, For as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, you shall not be established, nor your kingdom. Now therefore, send and bring him to me, 
for he shall surely die. I found that verse interesting, verse 31, because the son of Jesse, I'm reminded of the title of Jesus being the root of Jesse. And he says, as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, you shall not be established nor your kingdom. Why? And I was thinking, well, Jesus' kingdom was established forever. Jesus known as the root of Jesse because he's a descendant from Jesse. And then at the end of that verse, send him and bring him for he shall surely die. And I am reminded that Jesus did die for the sins of the world. Just some insight. I'm not saying that that was a prophetic word, but it did bring those thoughts to my mind. In verse 32, And Jonathan answered Saul, his father, and said to him, Why should he be killed? What has he done? Then Saul cast a spear at him to kill him, by which Jonathan knew that it was determined by his father to kill David. So Jonathan arose from the table in fierce anger and ate no food the second day of the month. For he was grieved for David because his father had treated him shamefully. So here, Jonathan, after he explains to David, what, what has David done wrong? Saul picks up that spear again and he throws it at his own son to kill him. And that had to be hard for Jonathan to endure. For his own father to be in such a, a rage and stupor that he would try to kill his own son. And he had to break his, own, his heart. So Jonathan fled to meet with David secretly. And in verse 34, I'm sorry, verse 35. And so it was in the morning that Jonathan went out into the field at the time appointed with David and a little lad was with him. Then he said to his lad, now run, find the arrows which I shoot. As the lad ran, he shot an arrow beyond him. And when the lad had come to the place where the arrow was, which Jonathan shot, Jonathan cried out after the lad and said, Is not the arrow beyond you? And Jonathan cried out after the lad, Make haste, hurry, do not delay. So Jonathan's lad gathered up the arrows and came back to his master. But the lad did not know anything. Only Jonathan and David knew of the matter. Then Jonathan gave his weapons to his lad and said to him, Go, carry them to the city. Verse 41. As soon as the lad had gone, David arose from a place toward the south, fell on his face to the ground, and bowed down three times. And they kissed one another and they wept together, but David more so. Then Jonathan said to David, Go in peace, since we have both sworn in the name of the Lord saying, may the Lord be between you and me and between your descendants and my descendants forever. So he arose and departed and Jonathan went into the city. So here we see the separation of these two brothers. They had this deep brotherly love for one another. I'm reminded of the brothers in my own life who have always been there to point me back to the Lord, who've been there when I've been depressed or, or struggling or in need of, of, of male brotherhood, that camaraderie. The Bible teaches us that as iron sharpens iron, so a, a man's countenance sharpens another. And that's same with sisters, women of the Lord. They are two to, to gather so that they can encourage one another. And it's a beautiful thing. You see, Jonathan, he, he's so heartbroken over his father's ideas. He's, his father is basically telling him, look, don't you realize that David is going to take your throne, Jonathan? So selfish and not thinking of what God desired, but only of what he desired. In chapter 21, now David came to Nob, 
to Ahimelech the priest. And Ahimelech was afraid when he met David and said to him, why are you alone and no one is with you? You see, David goes to now the priest and the priest realizing, wait, it's odd for David not to have a company of men with him. Asks him, why are you alone? Verse two. So David said to Ahimelech the priest, the king has ordered me on some business and said to me, do not let anyone know anything about the business on which I send you or what I have commanded you. And I have directed my young men to such and such a place. Now, therefore, what have you on hand? Give me five loaves of bread in my hand or whatever can be found. Ah, see David's lie. See, David here, he, he's in this position now of intense pressure and fear. And growing as a, as a young man, he, as a young leader, he has his struggles. And we're going to see times in his life where he fails. David, he battled here with fear, which led him to lying. You see, he sinned by not trusting in the Lord. And he did lie. He said, oh, well, the king sent me, but King Saul didn't send him anywhere. King Saul was chasing him. And in verse four, and the priest answered David and said, there is no common bread on hand, but there is holy bread. If the young men have at least kept themselves from women, then David answered the priests and said to him, truly women have been kept from us about three days since I came out. And the vessels of the young men are holy. And the bread is in effect common, even though it was consecrated in the vessel this day. So the priests gave him holy bread, for there was no bread there, but the show bread, which he had been taken from before the Lord in order to put hot bread in its place on the day when it was taken away. So there's an interesting portion right here that we just went over of how David was hungry and he came to the priest and he said, may I have some food? And the priest explained to him, all we have is the bread that's consecrated for the priests and for the Lord. You see, they would take the, the bread and they would offer it to the Lord and the remains of that holy bread, the priests themselves would enjoy. And it was kept specifically for that ceremonial matter but the priest, understanding the law of God, knew that it was just and righteous because David, starving, being a hungry man, was more important than the ceremony. David's life was at stake. Jesus talks about this. Jesus rebukes the Pharisees on this matter. If you would turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 12, Jesus actually quotes here in 1 Samuel this passage of Scripture to remind the Pharisees of spiritual truth when it comes to matters of the law and when it comes to the matters of of the value of a soul. In Matthew chapter 12, beginning with verse 1, it says, At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and his disciples were hungry and began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. But he said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the showbread, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests. Or have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath, the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath 
and are blameless? Yet I say to you that in this place there is one greater than the temple. But if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. You see, when it comes to the well-being of the soul and there's a good portion of food there for that priest it, it was just and lawful and godly to then give that piece of bread to the poor and the needy and jesus said that he was lord of the sabbath the sabbath was the day when they weren't supposed to work and they saw the disciples taking the grains off the field and breaking them up and chewing on them. And they considered that breaking up to be actually work because they were so legalistic and strict, the Pharisees were. And Jesus wanted to remind the Pharisees, look, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And Jesus, he's the Lord of the Sabbath. He's the creator of the Sabbath. See, Jesus was there at the beginning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's referring to Jesus. The Word became flesh. And God set into motion, and Jesus, seven days, including the day of rest, the Sabbath. And God blessed the seventh day, and he was over the seventh day. In Mark 2, 27, again, it says, The Sabbath was made for man, and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore, the Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. You see, Jesus is showing the Pharisees that it wasn't about a works-based relationship with God, but it was about that faith. It was about being saved by grace through faith. It was about the matters of the heart. You see, Jesus, he himself, He became our Sabbath. The Pharisees were caught off guard with this idea that you didn't have to work for salvation any longer and that Jesus had actually become their rest from the works of, in their mind, they were working for salvation. And that's what Jesus is to us, where we no longer have to work and strive and do things so that we can be saved it's based on our grace through faith relationship with jesus christ and we have to have that relationship for salvation it's a very narrow road salvation is it's very narrow-minded and i understand that to an outsider that would seem harsh but there is only one way to God, the Father, and that's through Jesus Christ, his son. That's what the Bible teaches. And the amazing part of it is now we don't have to live like that. We don't have to think of God as Santa Claus and when we mess up, oh, we're on the naughty list now. No, Jesus wants to forgive us every day, every morning. His mercies are new every morning. And that's the wonderful thing about Christ. That he loves us despite our failures, despite our disappointments. And he loves us through our disappointments. I do want to know something about what Jesus was referring to here. You see, Jesus quoted scripture. He quoted, he brought up to the account of how when David entered the temple, when he was hungry, he and those with who were with him. Now, something interesting that I found. See, when Jesus quotes the account, he quotes the account as mentioning the men who were with David. Now, what we read in 1 Samuel, it actually said that, that David was alone when he went to see the priest. 
So now, was Jesus wrong? Remember this biblical truth, this theological truth. If when you begin to look at the word of God, and there begins to be a seemingly contradiction or error, remind yourself that at that point, it's our perspective that's wrong. It's not the infallible word of God that is incorrect. See, the word of God is always true. God cannot breathe lies. Oh, sorry, lies. <laughs> so the word of God does not fail. Now, then how do we look at this verse? So when you look at the actual statements of David, and as he was running, there are a few things that would allow this to completely make sense. Number one is Jesus is just quoting as David was repeating. And then number two, also to make this a true statement, is that it doesn't necessarily mean that when David said that he sent the men away, perhaps David was with a company of men. Never says he wasn't. So it's one of those two truths. And it's definitely not that there was an error. A lot of times people will come to you and tell you, oh, here's an error in the Bible, I found it. And, you know, it's cool to see an honest skeptic. Because then you could allow, it allows you to show them, okay, well, let me show you the full picture. Let me show you the Bible in context. And that's why it's important to read through the entire Bible. Is we need to know our word and be able to have an answer for people. And you know what, even if you don't know in the moment, you could tell them, hey, you know what, um, I'm not sure about that right now, but I want to get back to you with an answer. So we see here God's word, it doesn't fail. And this encourages me. And not to get too far off our, our rabbit trail, but why don't you turn your Bible back to 1 Samuel chapter 21. We're going to finish this chapter in verse 7. It says, Now a certain man of the servants of Saul was there that day, detained from the Lord, and his name was Doeg, an Edomite, the chief of the herdsmen who belonged to Saul. And David said to Ahimelech, Is there not here on hand a spear or a sword? For I have brought neither sword nor my weapons with me, because the king's business required haste. So the priest said, The sword of Goliath the Philistine, whom you killed in the valley of Elah, there it is wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you will take that, take it, for there is no other except that one here. And David said, There is none like it. Give it to me. Ah, David, a man of war, he's taking back Goliath's sword now, which he claimed originally. And this idea to me of David using, taking what the enemy had used for, for evil and using it for good. You see, in my, in my own life, I've, there was things that God allowed me to stray from him. And I did that on my own will and accord. But God used certain aspects of my life to turn it now and so that he can use it for good, not referring to sin, but some of the, the gifts and the skills that I've learned through music or other, other things now. I want to use that for God. I don't want to use it to continue to serve the enemy, but I want to use it for the Lord. And maybe you've had some things in your life where in the past the enemy used those tools for his work. I would encourage you to, to use it for the Lord or get rid of it. Continuing on in verse 10, then David arose and fled that day from before Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath, and the servants of Achish said to him, Is this not David, the king of the land? 
Did they not sing of him to one another in dances, saying, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands? Now David took these words to heart and was very much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. So he changed his behavior before them and pretended madness in their hands, scratched on the doors of the gate and let his saliva fall down on his beard. Then Achish said to his servants, Look, you see, the man is insane. Why have you brought him here to me? Have I need of a madman? That you have brought this fellow to play the madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? End scene. I've seen this part of, uh, in my mind of, of David being brought to, to King Achish and all of a sudden the fear maybe overtakes him where he's like, man, I, I don't know what to do before this king. He might kill me. And he just pretends to be crazy. And it's quite unique, this scene in the Bible, this account. I've actually heard teachers both commend David, and then I've heard David also teachers say that David was afraid and acting like a madman in, in a negative way. And who knows? I can't say at the moment. I don't know whether David's tactics were wise as he was being clever in his escape or if he was so afraid and he wasn't trusting in the Lord so he acted like a madman. But God knows. And you see, you're going to come into situations of your life and you're going to have that choice to either trust the Lord in your situation that he's going to guide you on, on how to act or you might allow the fear to overtake you. But one thing I do know, since the Bible is the best commentary on the Bible, that David wrote about this account in Psalm chapter 34. In Psalm chapter 34, I just want to read eight verses to you as a closer. This is what David said after he pretended to be mad in front of King Achish. David wrote this. And I would encourage you maybe uh, later on tonight, go, go ahead and read through Psalm 34 since we just saw this story of David now running from Saul and acting like a madman before King Achish. In Psalm 34, verse 1, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My, my soul shall make its boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear of it and be glad. O oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. They looked to him and were radiant and their faces were not ashamed. This poor man cried out and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around all those who fear him. And delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. Amen and amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you again for showing us, Lord God, more of your word. Showing us more of the account, Lord God, of the man after your own heart. I pray and I ask, Father, that if there are things in our life, Lord God, that we need to correct, things that we need to be comforted in, may your Holy Spirit do that for us now. I pray and I ask, Lord Jesus, that you would heal our nation. May we seek you daily. May we trust you, Father. May we sing of your praises, Lord God. May worship music be in our hearts, in our minds. I pray, Father, that your word would guide us every day, that fellowship would reignite, Lord God, in this time, Lord God, when we can't be with each other. May fellowship reignite. Father, we praise you. We thank you. We thank you for salvation. We thank you that we don't have to work for salvation, that it's just a simple faith, a relationship. We thank you for your grace. May the peace of God surpass our understanding. 
May you be glorified. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to have one more song for the night. And I, I do want to make an announcement. We did just post that there is going to be a women's study, uh, a women's Bible study, uh, beginning next Friday. Not this Friday, but next Friday. And it's going to be meeting through Zoom. Uh, if you'd like some details on that, go ahead and message and comment us. And we will give you more information on that. Times are going to be announced. But we all want to draw closer to the Lord and magnify who he is. Let's sing. in our prayers in Jesus name